Hello, everyone. Welcome to Being the Work. I'm Ben. Today, Blakely and I are talking about whether or not it's actually necessary to take this work personally. We also just branch off on what that means. What does compassion mean? What does compassion for society mean? Uh, We just thank you so much for being here. And of course, don't forget to reach out to us. You can find us on Instagram at beingthework. Find us on our website, beingthework.com. Or you can email us, beingthework at gmail.com. We'd love to connect with you and get to know you. But, okay, so you were saying it deserves to be felt. And if it's not personal, then there's something missing. Absolutely. I mean, it's the two-dimensional things. It's a checklist of the problems, and then you're plugging those into solutions and handing them back. Right. And I could do that. Mm -hmm. In fact, I do that relatively regularly. I just don't think that's my best work. And if my best work is the goal, then that's Mm -hmm. something different. Sure. Sure. Because I know stuff that other people don't. If you ask me a question about it, I can give you an answer. Mm-hmm. But is that therapeutic? Right. right. <laughs> that's the word. If that's the adjective we're playing off of, I'm not convinced. It's helpful. Mm-hmm. It's encouraging. Supportive. Not therapeutic. And right. some things, when we stand in the face of them, our entire purpose is to honor and observe. And part of honoring and observing is feeling what deserves to be felt. And sometimes that's incredibly painful. It was part of it. And so I have to mm-hmm. feel it and deal with it. So I can't remember off the top of my head, the definition of, of compassion by Pima, but it is definitely, I mean, it's that idea of being in the presence of, in so, of someone else's pain and being a partner in that, right? That's the difference between sympathy and compassion. We, we, kind of know that like standing away from the pain and going, ah, that must suck versus being down in the hole with someone um, and going, Hey, I'm here for you. I'm, I'm, mm-hmm. I'm beside you. And yeah. And I, and I think of course, like for me, uh, I'm, I, this whole conversation is like, well, okay. I don't think that that's something that we're going to argue as professionals, that this work is hard. Um, And that it's also necessary to be present with someone's pain. I think the the absence of knowledge here, or the absence of my understanding, at least, I'm guessing that it's in the whole profession as well, is uh, how does this work impact us as people? Right. Because even as I'm looking at these definitions of compassion, Looking at Pima's, I'm looking at the way that Brene Brown has kind of re, like taken that definition and expanded on it too. So I think of those as kind of connected. Mm-hmm. And still the whole specifically says compassion is like Pima specifically says passion, compassion is not a relationship between the healer and the wounded. Right. It's a relationship between equals. And yet we are, are initially setting these up as relationships between the healer and the wounded. That is the inherent assumption right. involved. And so what happens when we're infusing our concept of compassion as a relationship between equals into a process that is envisioned by the client, by the system, by the, the general pub- public 
as a relationship between the healer and the wounded. Right. And so it's like, we're already going into that, trying to, to flatten that, that one down difference. Right. Absolutely. Which I think is a big part of that objectification, taking out the subjective, just sucking out the life of, of that. When we're talking about, I mean, we all feel that of, of how we have to try to capture the essence of our, of our note or our session to put it in our note. So to ensure that we get paid. Right. Sure. Takes out the entire essence of what actually happened. And so they're not reliable to go back to and to look at, okay, what were we in process of during that time? Ironically, this is sort of a a tangent, but I I, I, uh, remember reading and I, I can't remember where, and they said they were talking about how CBT was more about finding meaning and uh, and creating meaning for your life rather than this like mechanical fix your thoughts kind of idea. And I'm like, uh, that's the kind of CBT that I could buy into. And honestly, it is the kind of CBT that I use. And, and I'm like, yeah, oh. that's okay. Yeah, 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 yeah. That makes of me course. feel like more of a CBT practitioner. Thanks. Right. So I can, I can, I, I can have digest shit all that. over CBT for so long. I can digest that. But that's the thing is like, it, again, this is the, the process that we typically see that I have experienced is the sucking out of the richness and the life and the mm-hmm. therapeutic nature of things to make, to make them more, um, financially effective, et cetera, et cetera. Like, you know, that's, I see that where, where, why qualitative research is valued less than quantitative research. Like we don't buy into our society is built on positivistic and post-positivistic philosophies and epistemologies, the constructionistic, the constructivistic, the postmodern, those types of understanding of the world, they're they're less valuable because they are more confusing. They are more messy. They don't have a one-to-one ratio. You you have to get in and get dirty with the understanding of wrestling with ideas and thoughts. And unfortunately, you can't sell that. Like that's not easily sold unless you are like really into getting messy. And so I don't know. Like this is just where my thoughts are, where it's mm-hmm. compassion is um literally, I want to go <laughs> go back to literally the one of the taglines for my master's program was the art and science of compassion. That was that was the tagline. And I'm like, I can buy into that. How accurate was that? I mean. It was a tagline, so it was in, in more inspirational and and more of a vision than an actual experience. Oh yeah, for sure. Like the vision and then the mission sure. kind of on you know, it. Yeah. And I, the 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 program was kind of built on experiential therapy uh, models, and so when I got to 
you know, the actual work, there's a big conflict here of, of style. Yes. Yeah. All the places I went, I'm told this is the kind of therapy we do. REBT, CBT, and DBT. DBT, SFBT, CBT. Oh yeah. It was also solution focused. That was, was. Which is not code for the actual solution focused therapy modality. No. No, no, no. The whole point of saying that they do that is saying that you better do it fast. Exactly. Well, I don't give a shit yeah. what the philosophy is around it, but just make it quick. Right. I think in I think in our next iteration, I'm just taking the bad cop. You can be the good cop. I'm going to be the bad cop. I'm just going to say all the crazy shit that I want to say all the time, and uh-huh. that will infuse the conflict that we have received feedback that we should have because I'm just going to say shitty stuff. <laughs> that generally, we suck, and we need to suck less, and I need to suck less, and this industry is bullshit. Uh. That's what I want to say. <laughs> <laughs> you can try to convince me how it's not or how we can make it not. I'm I'm here with you. I mean, I I can't. That's a, that's a, that's the struggle for me. Is like, okay, of course I have to make money. <laughs> yeah. You know, and 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 the the internal struggle for me is how do we how do we make money? Like, we also have to sell this as a as a product to the general public. <laughs> yeah. And, and we, we live in a capitalistic society and I don't believe 100% that capitalism is evil, but the people in our society who are in power, who are making the biggest decisions that impact the most people are focused on money rather than humanity. Capitalism inherently isn't evil, just like communism inherently isn't evil. It's humans that are a problem. We're corrupt, evil little fucks. And we're always <laughs> going to ruin everything. That, that's why utopia isn't possible, because humans can't handle it. <laughs> because we are animals. We're animals. We are animals. We are not perfect beings. We are not as highly evolved as we could, should, maybe even will be if we don't destroy our fucking planet. Our only home that we shit on. Just good job. Good job, guys. Fuck me. I'm in a, like, I'm in a mood, but I'm always like, in a mood. I, well, this is well, just what I'm doing. <laughs> give up. I give up. I, I, uh, I just that when you say shit on. Fuck recycling, like, right? My recycling <laughs> box over here is the saddest little shred of hope in my whole house. Oh, my word. I was thinking too, like it, it made me... <clears throat> It made me go, it made me go, if we can't honor and respect and uplift our own lives, our own selves, like my internal life, my internal life is quite harsh. (laughs) (laughs) No kidding. Like like you did, you have not done enough. You don't earn enough. You weren't helpful enough. You know, just the, the typical kind of bullshit, you know, and even, even like when I, when I renew my license. And it asks, have you done anything or have you gone through anything that, that would put you (laughs) at risk for harming other people? And you have to sign it. Right. And I'm like, I'm so down on myself. Usually (laughs) I have to to think. Whereas I'm like, yes, this, this, I've done this for too long. Ultimately I go, uh, no, (laughs) like I'm still, 
I'm still cognitively here. I'm still paying attention. I'm still yeah, caring for people. You should be Catholic. <laughs> You're like, no, never mind. And so, Take it back. Right. If we can't honor our own lives and lift our own selves up, even within our families, and lift people up and honor their differences, how the hell are we going to do that for society? As being a middle-class, like, middle-class white dude who's straight and cisgender Christian. Could your life be any easier? (laughs) Could you have any more privilege? Wow. Privilege bomb. Kaboom. I mean, literally, just the doors are open. I'm just out here being a white man. (laughs) (laughs) Which which is like, for me, I'm like, uh -uh." (laughs) you know, that was like four years ago going, huh? Uh, and then like, look, <laughs> you've I, evolved so much. I, I am not, I do not. <laughs> it's hard for and, me too. Like, you know, and, and that's, that's the thing is like, this is exactly what I'm talking about is if I can't honor and lift up the differences in my own life and my own family, and I'm reluctant to give any position away because I'm always in conflict with folks or, or, competitive with folks, then how is it, how am I going to be able to do that in a real way to people whose messages of wanting equality or equity in their lives will take away from my well-being? Like that's the message that you get, right? Like that's the message I get Mm -hmm. of, of as a white man and all the other white folk out there who are like arguing that, oh, these sensitive people out there, they've got the same opportunities as us. And I'm sitting there going, that philosophy on life about mistakes says so much generationally, societally. Absolutely. It says a lot about like privilege and how we view humanity. Like I'm going to hold mine because I'm not going to make myself. Absolutely. And if you believe that that's just what people are, like that is what I believe about humanity. I mean, we've talked before about, and I don't, I haven't revisited this and maybe this is part of what I need to get back to is I can very clearly say that my philosophy that humanity is inherently good. We're all trying to take care of ourselves and not hurt other people, generally speaking. That was so shaken apart through all of the COVID and burnout and racial unrest, systemic racism problems that we've been faced with, or that I personally have faced dead on all at once does not make me believe that people are good. And it sounds like, I don't know. What do you think your family philosophy is on that front? I think it's both. Um, More so like less of like, let's think deeply and more like, let's think practically. How do we get through this situation with the least amount of um, damage and the most that we can, I think is kind of the, like right now, how I would think about it, I guess, if I had to give you an answer. Uh, But I also, I think, come from a line of idealists um, who look at their own understanding of life and of the world and of God and all of this and say, well, if you live this way, then things will go well. And they miss that. They miss the fact of just the dynamic of power in society and the way that that opens up privilege in their lives to make the choices that they want. And they don't understand that like 
they stand on the backs of other people to be able to have what they feel is equal, equal freedom. Then there's also, there's also the message that I gathered from those similar, those same people and from the people that I was closest with outside of my family, that the biggest role model for me was Jesus. He was like the anti-superhero superhero in my life of this is the person that you should model your life after. Sitting with criminals, sitting with the homeless, sitting with the sick. Yeah, and we did a we did a disservice with repurposing that guy as an as a blue-eyed white man. Yeah. I think that's where half of the messaging got lost. Yeah, like service to others was um was an integral part of what he did mm-hmm. and what we read about. And so, you know, what is it that Gandhi was saying? Gandhi said if if Christians were actually like Jesus, uh, he'd be more inclined to believe. That's a paraphrase. I have no idea if that's actually what he said, but um, I agree with him 100%. And so, you know, I think that ethic was really in my heart, that ethic of care, that ethic of, you know, do what you can with the privilege that you do have with the, and be generous with it. I think that the whole racial reckoning that's been going on and and the push for equality and equity in our society has really kind of started to break break down like not started but like in the last I would say half a decade um and since well I I'm going to give that credit I think I'm going to give that credit to you and our friendship I think being a being a therapist, I'm already primed to lift up other people's experiences and to be curious before I'm judgmental, because I just naturally want to understand what's going on before I diagnose what's going on. And well, I think that's mainly a service that's brought to me by my my. Uh, perfectionism and my self-doubt because I go, who, who the hell do you think you are to know what the hell's going on, Ben? And so I go, I want to get underneath that under, uh, get underneath what's happening and really understand what's going on and the dynamics. And does this make sense? Does this not make sense? What are your questions that you need to clarify before you start to make decisions about someone else's life? So you know, thanks for my self-consciousness that um, I, I have that, you know, I was already primed to do that and, and being your friend and getting to know you has opened up my, just my life to understanding more power differentials and more influence of, of dis- decision makers and understanding that those decision makers are typically white men. And so that's really opened my life up and it's really, I feel like that deconstruction for myself has been going on since I've really known you. I always bring the fun stuff. And so that and, and knowing Delissa, Sam and, and Amanda, Carolyn, like all these folks really just getting to know them and really, I, I, I just got to know my own ignorance. Sure. And I think you have to make friends with that in order to change it. That's exactly what I'm talking about. Most of the time, 
when I'm learning something brand new, I'm scared that it does take away a sense of belonging. And where I was learning the most and learned the most has been when I'm close with the people that I'm learning from. And I learn a lot from my clients. I also learn from the folks that do it better than me, understand power dynamics better, understand what it's like to live at a lower level of privilege than me. So for me, it really is like when I, when I am looking at my own privilege and I'm trying to deconstruct that, uh, what that really means to me is I'm trying to understand other people's point of view. And I'm trying to understand the impact of, of what I find beneficial in my life as painful for them. And to me, that is a greater sense of freedom. There's a greater sense of freedom to me. And, you know, I'm talking, this, this is sort of a, a, a different layer of what we started out talking about. Like we started out talking about just compassion mm-hmm. and this one-on-one understand, wanting to understand with another person. Mm-hmm. And that's, that is at the heart of what I'm talking about yeah. with this societal thing. Like I know I can't give compassion to that intensity to every single person in society. But I can have a compassionate concern that says, okay, life is not, it's not either or. And that's what you asked me before, like what was happening in my own family? What kind of messages did I get about humanity? Well, and I think that's the conclusion that I have to just come to is it's not, it's not clean. It's in the gray area, just like everything else that we all, we are all capable of goodness and we are all capable of evil or bad or whatever. And we do plenty of both. And it's not necessarily about a, a ratio of making sure that there's just more good than bad. I, I don't know. It's that continual acceptance and change process, I guess, is how I think about it, but it's really hard to swallow that. I don't know. Something that I've learned, I think in the last year is to take a position or to have a reaction that I have had of to look at your own privilege is to acknowledge that you're a piece of shit. I don't think that like I I have reacted like that where it's like I get defensive and I get, Oh, well, why do I have to do all this stuff for other people? I don't see anybody out here doing anything for me. And to be honest, the the ladder of society really doesn't give a shit about anyone. Yep. I think it just it just opens the doors for other people who are saying, "Oh yeah, you could be you could take a part of that," but then only oh, only this far, right? Right. Only this far. Oh, you're not a manly man, Ben. You're a girly man. Okay, right. you can only go this far. Like that's the kind of shit that I've gotten, and of course that's not nearly as as unjust as other things, but ladder doesn't give a shit. Well, and that's how I know not to trust it. Anything that is two-dimensionally linear, the ladder is not something that I'm going to trust. Kind of bringing this all together. If I have compassion for me and I understand, I do need to own my mistake. I don't have egregious things, but I do need to take a look at where do I derive power from? And Am I using that to uplift people and give people opportunity? 
Or am I using that to serve my own identity and my own comfort and all of that? That's a humble process. I have to be willing to say, hey, Ben, you're being kind of a dick right there. And I also have to be willing to let other people call me out as well. Now, I think that you have to earn the right to have my heart listen to you, which is exactly what I'm talking about, like giving you credit for influence over my life. Yeah. There's a value there already. That opens you up to vulnerability and it opens you up to having to be courageous in the face of being wrong and growing from there and realizing, hey, you could take a lot of power and and self-esteem from learning. You know, I've obviously committed committed my my professional life and my personal life to helping other people. And I can't help but let people's experiences influence me. And that's a, both a good and a bad thing. Like it is both positive to my uh, philosophy of life, to my identity, to, but it's also like, it, I let it get to me sometimes. Like, I mean, there's some students that I'm working with and, and they've shared stories about how, how they have been hurt and how they have been taken advantage of and how they don't feel safe in their own environment with their other peers. And I didn't go to injustice first uh, when I got, because I did end up getting very angry at what they were telling me about what was going on at school, but I first felt their pain um, and was like, if I was you, I would feel devastated that the promises that were given me weren't upheld. And so them feeling less than was the thing that I wanted to be present for. And from there, I had to, I had a choice. You could take action on this or you could just sit there going, well, I I was present with your feelings and I validated what you were saying and I tried to normalize what you were saying and then leave it there. But I couldn't. I I was moved too deeply. Because there, I mean, there have been times where I've done that where I'm like, oh, shoot, that sucks. Right. You know, and that's not compassion. No. Oh, (laughs) that seems right. That's not compassion. What was that like? Yeah. And so... I, I took action and I and I investigated more. I tried to make try to influence change. I doubt that it ha- I doubt that it did a whole lot because the system is quite rigid. But all of that to say, like there, are, you know, after after the difficult discussions that I had with various people of that were in power and also the the students that I was talking to. Well, what did I do when I got home? Like I'm exhausted. Mm-hmm. That's a lot of emotional labor. And I, I played Zelda for an un, unreported amount of time. <laughs> Untracked. It's okay. Yeah. Yeah. The, the, <laughs> the switch would tell me, I just don't want to go look. It's okay. Don't, I don't <laughs> recommend it. But. And how do you, mm-hmm. I don't know. I'm still just stuck with, do you feel like plugging into Zelda is okay? Um, yes and no. What I would say is what I wish I had was 
more of a, a, a reliable, safe place, not safe, but just comfortable place to talk about what I went through, where it's not this formal, hey, I'm struggling. Uh, I'll pay you to listen to me through therapy, right? I do, I do want that. I, I want therapy too, but I want it, I don't want it necessarily for every single problem I go through my life, yeah. right? Yeah, um, it's like there's a missing layer of our social stratosphere. But also sometimes I feel like I can't make words anymore. Like there's a very physical sensation of like I can feel it in my mind and in my mouth and in my chest that I don't have them. And there's always noise in me. But sometimes there is a quietness after a hard day that is eerie to me. Yeah. The, I, th- I think the part that is, yes, Zelda is absolutely fine, is I just want to do something very concrete that are very simple, simple possibilities. It's not all these incredible variables that I have to work out and pay attention to. There's very finite amount of things that I can do just with my fingers to move that character. And it's, I can, I can solve problems and puzzles and, and things like that just very tangibly. And I can even get into hard situations where I, can rely on my skills to get me through an absolute concrete problem. And that is something that is not in the human services. In the human services, you just don't get that kind of resolution most of the time. It, it is messy and, and convoluted. I think that's why I'm so, I'm so. Stuck. It's when I start to rely on it. That's a problem. This is no longer a temporary push away or a temporary like self-efficacy builder. It is is now a a resort in my mind that I go to every time thinking that it's going to solve my problems. Well, and I guess that's the key. I don't, I'm so stuck all the time on how do we know if it's good self-care or not? Because what would you plug into that space instead that would allegedly be better or healthier? And who's to say? How do you know? Um, I think I think for me personally, I know that being with folks that I could do something fun with um, and have a, just a fun conversation with, like I know that um, my family can't handle Cards Against Humanity, so we play the family version. And there's like, <laughs> look at your face. <laughs> um, yeah, wimps. Uh, but there's a lot of, you know, there's a lot of poop jokes that happen and it's a lot of fun. And I, I have, you know, I laugh a lot and, and just that kind of thing. It's like, hey, we're here together. We're doing something that's just generally fun. And I don't, it's not heavy at all. Um, I don't have to be, I can kind of shed the, the role of therapist Ben and just be Ben who likes poop and fart jokes. Because you're talking about humor and connection and a degree of authenticity mm-hmm. of, of. Yeah, absolutely. I don't know, just t- letting your hair down, taking your hat off. Absolutely. And because you can't have family game night after every stressful night, after every stressful day. And I couldn't 
mentally handle family game night after every one of those days. And so that's where I'm, and I don't think that's what you're saying, but I'm just wondering about that menu of plugging in what you do need to get out of it and how much we can get those from different places. I don't know. I don't know. I'm just having a really hard time with it. Cause I do think it comes down to the person. And I think that's where we're missing some of the self-care stuff. Yeah. The way that I see it is one, I have to be willing to do some, some uncomfortable or hard things that aren't convenient. So the convenient thing after a hard day of work is Zelda. It is absolutely accessible and it is absolutely there to manipulate. I can just grab it and go. Now, I, I, I feel like I have to realize, and this isn't something that I'm good at, but this is something that I know is true, is that I want that to be the only answer. That and food and coffee and just simple like pleasures, go-to pleasures. like Those are the things that, that I want to be true. Uh, that's the only answer I want. And I re- need to realize as well that I usually feel better when I move my body when I'm not always on the couch, when I am in social situations, uh, talking about things that uh, either are just for connection between the two of us or are really deep, philosophical, fun things that I really like to think about um, that really have no point. That's the things that I like to do. With all of that, I don't know that there's a menu. And in that way of like, oh, I'm gonna I'm gonna try this self care procedure today. Well, because I think you I think you're drawing me toward a conclusion that it's about what you're what you're getting out of it, not what you're doing. And I think we've gotten very stuck on what you're doing, the behavior of self care, rather than the the point. Because that you're clearly getting stuff out of Zelda, especially if you're tying it to this is what my day took from me and what I need to replenish in my cup, and that is always a moving target especially for us. You don't know what your day is going to be. Your whole Mm -hmm. fucking day can cancel. Mm -hmm. Sometimes it's a very weird full moon. Nobody shows up day. And I play Zelda at noon. And then I have a whatever. I'm doing the dishes instead of seeing my clients. It's a very weird world right now. Can I read something? Yeah, go ahead. This is from Charles Figley, 2002. So 20 years ago. Compassion stress is the residue of emotional energy from the empathic response to the client and is the ongoing demand for action to relieve the suffering of a client. Like any stress with sufficient intensity, it can have negative impact on the human immune system and the quality of life in general. Together, other factors can contribute to the compassion fatigue unless the psychotherapist acts to control compassion stress. There appear to be two major sets of coping actions that can do this. Number one, a sense of achievement. I won't read all of this. A sense but of it, achievement. That's part of what you're plugging there, right? Exactly. A sense of, of achievement lowers, prevents compassion stress, brings on satisfaction for the effort that you're putting in. Tidy, predictable, secure. Yeah. The second is disengagement. And this prevents compassion stress by allowing you to distance yourself from the ongoing misery of a client. Which is the same is also that Mm -hmm. it's both right. Enacting a sense of letting go of the thoughts, feelings, sensations associated with the session. And so to me, there's, there's Mm -hmm. a, in, there's a, 
mixture of there has to be a mixture of 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 intention when I get home that I could very easily go into a place of I'm going to play uh, just getting lost in play for four hours. That can happen where I don't really care that I'm doing anything anymore. I'm just doing things to do things and I'm doing things to escape versus being very intentional to say, I'm going to play this long. And during that time, I need to make sure that I'm one disengaging from the stress of the day and two, finding something that I can do to achieve something that is positive, that I can feel like the efforts that I put into it were good enough for me to feel like I have my autonomy back, I have my competence back, and I can just be Ben. And there's a very, saying that is so much easier than doing that. And I think that that's the problem, is that the the action isn't the thing that's going to heal us, but it's the action and Oh, and I'm just thinking about our lives outside of work. How impossible is it to put together that perfect disengagement, autonomous task? Half of us are going to work our second job to pay for life. I know. And like, we're talking, I mean, we are talking about our nervous system. And that's what they, that's, that's what is so like crazy thinking to me where I was like, where I thought for so long that my training gave me this like magical access to, to health. Oh yeah. And I was missing a whole (laughs) part of the reality of this is that my nervous system, if not tended to and taken care of, and if I'm not the steward of that, well, the, the, the outcome will be, indicative of my stewardship of my nervous system. Yeah. Well, and that demand for action in that, what you read is still ringing in my ears because that feels also, then I guess that's what I'm thinking about, like the outside of work too, because I feel like the demands for action on me never end. Oh yeah. Right. It doesn't matter if I'm working or not. Right. Because if I'm not working, then I'm parenting. If I'm not, not parenting, then I'm trying to be everything else I'm supposed to be when I can't be either of those things. Right. And so autonomy. eh, Right. I'm in an autonomy desert. (laughs) (laughs) And so, yeah, of course I fall for the mirage of a video game when I have two hours that I'm hiding under the covers because I can't get out of my own bed Mm -hmm. because my children have to sleep right by me. And I am awake from like eight until midnight, just trapped and change to my bed. So what am I supposed to do? I'm supposed to sleep train my children. I know there's a lot of things I'm supposed to do. Well, how is doing something going to actually fix it? That's what, I- right? Because this is, this is the thing is like, like I was saying just earlier, I am not going to admit and commit that I need to change and that I will change until I know that there's actual process access and hope and know that my efforts are actually going to mean something like, and how do we even get, get safe? This is the same kind of thing that it's like, this is the thing that I wasn't open to when I was a younger therapist is have to admit where you need some help and you have to open up to the support of other people 
to even brainstorm, even come up with a possible solution to those very difficult questions. Because the thing is, is that you wouldn't be doing those things if they didn't have a positive effect on your life, right? The, the, yeah, it could be causing some issues. And there's a reason why it's there, that there's a reason why your life is the way it is. And that's where it's like, for me, I, I really, the prescriptive kind of self-care stuff doesn't work because, I mean, it's just like motiv- like motivational interviewing. One of the rules of motivational interviewing is to resist the writing uh, reflex. Stop telling people what to do. If you want actual change, we have to understand and we have to build ambivalence. We have to build hope. We have to build. And just even saying those two things, ambivalence and hope, they clash. They are not like like this, this like, I don't know, cult-like spa experience of of. We all just need to relax. Like, what is that? We're dealing with life and death stuff here with people being suicidal and people self-harming and real life struggles. If our self-care is as two-dimensional as that, it's, it's crap. Well, yeah, if it falls apart. Did you take your bubble bath? And how is that better than what I did do? Like, what's the difference between disengaging and escaping? (laughs) Like, I'm just doing it on purpose instead of running? I don't... The nuance there is like, oh, fuck's sake. I'm just doing my best. Just the idea of self-compassion comes into my mind. Of how do you... Like, the even trying to answer your questions, I think, is pointless. Because we don't understand the need. If we understood the need... We could fill that need. We could fix that need. And then we could take it further into wellness and hope and joy. But before we, we can't get to wellness, hope, and joy without filling the need first. We can't talk about preventing it until we fix it. And then we work on preventing it. You don't put a smoke detector in a burning house. Exactly. And that's where I think the honor where I try to help give honor to my clients of understanding that some of the solutions that they've come up with are both ingenious and hurting. Like it's both, it's not one or the other. Yeah. Right. And if I assume I know better then I'm just the asshole going, well, I know best. I know best how to live your life. And that's what, seriously, you really think that? Because. Yeah, it's not about not that. It's about not only that. It's about not narrowing our lives to something so tiny that we only have one option. I want to offer that to myself and I want to offer that to my fellow helpers that we are all people and the discussion around self-care is yes, ethically necessary. You got to do it or you're you're not doing service to your clients. You're hurting your clients. But, but also, and I think what's lost in most of this discussion is that you deserve to be understood for your needs to be met 
and for us to be able to live a life that is not only being a therapist. And a life that can, the way that our life rolls with the ups and downs, we have to have our, our career role with us. And the, the dual demands just crash a lot, a lot, a lot, a lot, because we are going to go through so many of the same struggles that we are walking beside people through. And the balancing act of my grief and my suffering and my anxieties and my experiences alongside theirs and being Uh the healer in the mix Mm -hmm. that interplays. And if we act like it doesn't interplay, then we are also, again, doing a disservice to ourselves and our clients. Right. And that part is, I guess that part is hard. I had what I needed when I was younger. I, I don't think I was prepped for what I need now. And that's what is so challenging now because I had the freedom and autonomy to decide what I do with my time outside of the 10 hours mm-hmm. I'm at work. And I wasn't a therapist. I was a case manager and those expectations are different. The demand to do, I can hold back some of my feelings mm-hmm. to do. Yeah. And I mean, I just even think of like the pace at which stress comes at us in life causes a sense of urgency. I've got too much to do to slow down and figure out what I need. And that's why people just in general come to get help when things are burning down, right? The problem is big enough for me to need help. Well, and that's where stigma has done us such a horrible disservice as a general society that if you have, again, if you already had the smoke detector, then your house wouldn't have burned down. You wouldn't have to be doing total wipeout reset. You can maintain if you keep going, if you're maintaining in the middle. Right. But we wait for everything to fall apart. We have to slow down to ask better questions. And you're not going to answer those questions with someone who doesn't care about the answers. Mm -hmm. If you know that someone's honoring your answers, that that you're with someone who will honor the fact that you are being vulnerable, that you're digging into some courage to be authentic and tell your story. I mean, that's the starting place for me. Yep. That's why I do the work that I do. Well, and I think it's a constant starting place. It's a constant resetting place because we also, I don't think we acknowledge how much we, we change as we do this work. Like it builds up on us and life builds up on us and I'm not the same Absolutely. person I, when I started. And so I need different things, but there hasn't been the pause to let my evolution catch up. I'm just glad I'm back to reading real books. That's when is good. that ever encouraged? It's in fact, it's ironically, I think it's actively discouraged and then ethically threatened. <laughs> yes. Like, oh, you didn't, you didn't do that. Then you're not, you're not being ethical. That's unethical. <laughs> That's unethical to not do self-care. Oh, my God. oh, you're wanting to take time off. Client abandonment. Mm-hmm. Right. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Assuming that you actually can take the time off. Spoiler alert. No, you can't. <laughs> man, look. Man, man. Speaking of, I gotta go. Yes, yes, I do too. I do too. Three and a four. You all have plenty to share Ooh, with me. Yes. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, can't wait, can't wait, can't wait. I care. I swear I do. I really do. Oh. <laughs> uh, Thank you.
You know, something I've learned from a lot of my colleagues and a lot of my friends is that we have some of the most generous people in this profession and in the helping professions. And oftentimes we take on so much responsibility to help other people that we just want to put our heads down and get as much done as we can to help as many people as we can. Of course, that takes us away from caring for ourselves and it distracts us away from caring for one another and really being able to show up for one another. It's the relationships we have in this profession that sustain us the most. So we just want to share and encourage as much as possible because we need each other. We need each other, especially to not get taken advantage of and sold all this hoo-ha about, hey, you just need to do self-care better. So come on with us in this journey. As always, get in touch with us. Let us know how we can be of service to you and how we can connect with you. You can find us at Being the Work on Instagram. You can find us on our website, beingthework.com, or email us, beingthework at gmail.com. Thank you so much for spending some time with us today.